Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa curry and I am here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. guys how's it going uh i hope you you all had a fabulous weekend i certainly did it was like very restful and productive and i gave myself all the opportunity to make it through the week strong and actually i love releasing my podcast here on wednesdays because it gives me motivation it inspires me and it basically like gives me like a little midweek boost <laughs> and and this week is extra special because my guest is none other than my brother, Mitch curry Lowitz. So Mitch is actually my half-brother. Uh, we have the same dad. We have different moms. And at only 20 years old, he has already made a gigantic impact on this planet. He has raised money for secondary education in rural Kenya, bringing opportunity and empowering young students across the country. He founded an initiative called Make Luck History, which he's going to talk about today. It is an incentive to be part of the solution to global poverty. And to top it all off, he speaks about his passions and has shared the stage with world leaders, spiritual teachers, and A-list celebrities to groups as large as 20,000 people. That is so cool. Uh, Mitch and I did not grow up together. However, it has been very special for me. It's been a very special experience for me to watch him thrive and do his thing and work towards something he loves from a distance. He is such a hard worker and he utilizes his talents and opportunity to give back. It's rare to see young people so dedicated and so inspiring and I love watching Mitch lead by example. So today I'm getting up close and personal with my bro and I'm excited for you all to hear about his mission, his projects, his perspectives, and that no matter how old you are, it only takes one passionate person to truly change the world. We can all make a difference. Okay, so here we go. All right, we're live, Mitch. How are you? Hey, Lisa, how are you? I'm great. <laughs> I'm great. So I'm so happy to, that uh, you're on the show today. You're tuning in or calling in rather um, from Toronto. I am, yeah, from my little apartment here in the annex. <laughs> That's very cool. And you're in Toronto because you're going to school. I'm going to school here. I'm in my third year of uh, my undergrad at the University of Toronto. All right, very cool. So what um, what are you taking in school? I take political science, uh, so it, it's really great for me to to do that because I get to I get to apply a lot of, of what I am actually learning in the classroom and in the textbook uh, to actual to actual real life, and that's oftentimes a, a little bit, a bit of a stretch for a lot of my peers in the classroom. So I'm really fortunate that way. Yeah. So and that actually segues perfectly into why I want you here to talk on the show because your real life, your personality, the way you've grown up is so inspiring and you really have dedicated your life to helping other people and helping 
people sort of wake up and and see a new perspective on 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 how to see life and how to live life and another reason why you're so inspiring is because you are 20 years old and you're coming from this young youthful vibrant um vibration and it's and it's amazing <laughs> it's very cool to be related oh, to you <laughs> so um i i want you to tell your story like why don't we start sort of from sure. the beginning and and how you got into being such a an activist and um i don't know game changer well, well, first of all, thank you very much for saying all those kinds of things. It's nice, <laughs> nice for my sister to say great <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> yes. But, but it, my story really started when uh, I was nine years old. So I, I grew up in Ottawa, uh, but when I was nine years old, my, my, my family took me to Kenya for the first time. Uh, my, my mom and my aunt brought me to Kenya with the WE movement, or as they were called at the time, Free the Children. Yes. And I went over there and I met two really inspirational guys, Mark and Craig Kielberger, who run the organization. And I also met a whole bunch of young people my own age, fellow nine-year-olds, fellow global peers. And we played a lot of soccer together, had a great time. Uh, but I ultimately realized that despite our kind of natural connection, uh, we both lived really different lives. I didn't have a lot of adversity in mind, and they were going to schools that were made out of cow dung, if at all. They were collecting water from uh, a river that was brown five kilometers away, and they had to collect it by foot. The water that I was getting was in my fridge and in a Brita filter. I mean, things were really different. Uh, so I, I really wanted to do something about it, but as you know, from a nine-year-old's perspective, I didn't know what to do at the time. So I came home and I told my family about it, and I was lucky enough to go back when I was 12 years old um, because I really wanted to make a change. And I didn't know what to do at the time when I was nine years old. I knew there was disparity, but I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, so I went back again when I was 12 years old. Uh, again, this time with my my dad came. Our dad came. Yes. And uh, we we were really fortunate to see the opening of an all-girls secondary boarding school called Kisruni. And at the time, I saw 40 young girls enter high school for the very first time, super inspired. Uh, they were really, really excited about the education they were about to receive. And I was in grade 8 at the time, going into grade 9 in, in a couple months back, uh, back at home in Ottawa. So I wondered where I would continue my education if I lived in Kenya. So I asked the question, and so I approached a local elder, and I asked him, is there a school for boys? And of course, it was translated into Swahili, and then it was translated into Ma, the local language of the area, and then he, he uttered something, and he looked kind of surprised, and then it was translated back to Swahili, and then back to English, <laughs> and ultimately, the answer that he gave was no. There was no school for boys um, at the time. It was really unusual for me, because the girls were being educated, and the boys weren't, and this time, I really wanted to do something about it. I had something that I could do. And so we went back home, and I started something called Project Jenga. Okay. So I definitely want to talk about Project Jenga. However, do you know why the women were being educated and not the men? Like, that just... Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a common common question, because it's it's so unusual, right? It's usually it's, it the is. men who are educated first uh, in, any, in any area of the world, especially in the developing world, in the global south. But in this particular area, so I was working with, and I was traveling with We Me to We and mm -hmm. with the We movement, and it's so it just so happened that the kind of pendulum had swung too far in this very narrow area of Kenya, because it was so kind of romanticized to support the the women in the community, but the boys had kind of fallen behind. So at the time, there were two high schools for the women and and, and none for the men. 
the boys didn't have a chance to advance because the funding was all being given to the girls, privately funded by this, uh, by by we, by free the children, and the boys weren't. Uh, the boys were being a little bit marginalized in this very small area. Of course, it's not representative of the whole dynamic of men versus women being educated, but in this particular area, it was. Okay, so when you were in grade eight, going into grade nine, did you, and you were back in Kenya, did you make connections with those, those friends, those soccer players that you played with when you were nine years old? Again, like, did you oh, maintain course. those friendships? Of course, and, and, and that was another thing. That was another reason why I wanted to do something, right? Because yeah. three years earlier, I was seeing my friends basically playing soccer together, having a real natural connection. And then three years later, when... I'm standing there seeing the fact that they don't have a chance to go to school in the same capacity that I do, and they're going to end up working on fields, right? They're going to end up doing the agriculture work of their traditional economies in the past. Now, I had great opportunity, and they didn't, right? They, these are my friends. They should, have, they should have the same choices that I do. Absolutely. So Project Jenga, this is a very cool thing that um, I believe there's a lot of proud people in in the world that are that are surrounded and supporting this this project. So tell tell me what it is. What happened? Okay, sure. So like I said, I got back home to Canada. I'm 12 years old, um, just turning 13. I'm just going into grade nine, and I want to do something. But I and, and at this point, I really want to make sure that the boys have a chance to go to school. So my family and I, my friends, we started something called Project Jenga. And Jenga, like like the game, you know, when they, yeah. they build up the blocks, it actually <laughs> means to build in Swahili. So what oh, I wanted cool. to do and what we wanted to do was build a high school to match the quality of education that the that the women were receiving, that the girls were receiving. Okay. And so at, at first I started to do little little campaigns in my school. We got uh, we got my friends to bring in uh, money from the chores that they would do around the house. We even sold stickers that read "It's cool to be kind." Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to we wanted to inspire an, an attitude of, of kindness at home and also make some impact abroad as well. So Project Jenga became these kind of small actions that contributed to large impact. But then as we grew and as I realized that there was a whole a whole boarding school in rural Kenya that we had to fund, I uh, had to extend my reach to people with the resources to further kind of support me. Mm-hmm. And so we started to do events, we did one first in Toronto, and then we did a bunch in Ottawa, we spread out to Calgary, and we had some really great people uh, come out and, and support our project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you guys raised quite uh, a lot of money to get this school going, right? Like, what yeah, was the total we're, we're number? Fortunate. So it, it took about six and a half years, but okay. we managed to raise over a million dollars uh, for this boarding school, and it actually opened in January 2017. Uh, so yes. right now, there are actually two classes of boys uh, in the school. So there are 66 boys right now being educated at our school in rural Kenya, uh, and another 30 to 40 students every year until it's at uh, full capacity. So, so how does that make you feel? Like, how do you feel knowing that you've been such an instrumental part of this project? Oh, well, to me, I look at it from my perspective as I just, I was, first of all, I was lucky to be able to be in Kenya in the first place and make the realization. Uh, I'm incredibly fortunate to have been exposed to something like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, anyone, Anyone could have asked that question, right? And people were asking that question, frankly, around that time. But now, you know, and then I was able to be the one and to, to kind of leverage that action and really, and really try and make a change. And now when I see these boys through high school and, and see them 
being so confident with English and with Swahili and with math and with history, whatever it is, you know, I, I'm really proud that of the community that we've built. And that's one of the cool things about Project Jenga, the name Jenga. It's pretty versatile in the fact that it's more than just building a school. It's actually building a community. So that's probably what I'm most proud of in this is that we built a community in Canada and East Africa that really cares about people that they've never met uh, just because of the power of education. And, and, and so that, that's, that, that, that's really something that I care about is the amount, the amount of fortune that I've had to have asked the question and now the pride that the, uh, of seeing the boys and the community that we've built. I actually really resonate with that. I, I speak a lot or my guests on the show speak a lot about how they've built community and and sure. and giving someone worth, self-worth, some value. It really changes. Um, yeah. It changes a person. It changes their confidence. It changes sort of everything. Um, totally. So, agree. so with this Project Jenga, um, I have two questions, but the first one is, um, yes, you're seeing this community um, grow within, like at the school. But have you seen? Have you been back? Like, when's when have you? When's the last time you were there? Yeah, so I've been back. I uh, probably a dozen times since that initial trip when I was nine years old. Yeah, uh, just to see the progress and, and see how the how the boys are advancing. And I was there for the for the opening of the school. My, my entire family was there. We were really really fortunate to. Uh, to see the boys enter high school for the first time. And yeah. I was actually just back in January of yeah. this year to see how the boys were advancing. Yeah. And they were really, really a lot more confident than they were when I first met them. So when I first met them uh, a couple of years ago now, they were, which is, which, is probably, which is pretty crazy to say that it was a couple of years ago that the school opened. But when I first met them, they were pretty shy. They were excited to be educated, but they were, they were nervous about what was to come. And then just a year later, they were so confident in their uh, in, a, in a language, in English, which is a language that they were just kind of learning mm -hmm. at the time. And so they were really, really excited about being educated, but now they were confident and now they were ready to kind of take on the world. So that, that's why I'm always inspired to go back and see them. Yeah, for sure. So, so is Project Jenga still um, an ongoing uh, movement? Are you guys going to expand? Like what's the... Yeah, so, so the idea with Project Jenga now is the entire the entirety of the kind of operational funding is, is complete, but now what we're doing is making sure that the students can actually go to school. Yeah. So the Kenyan government doesn't subsidize uh, education past grade eight. So once you get to high school, you have to pay for your own education. Okay. And because this is a private school, uh, this the, the same thing goes. So we have to make sure that the students can actually afford to go to school and and for the vast, vast, vast majority of the time, they can't. So what we're doing is we're making sure that the boys have a sponsorship and scholarship opportunities uh, to continue through their four years. Mm -hmm. And the cost of that is, is $12,000 spread out over four years. Um, mm -hmm. And basically what that boils down to is, is basically the, the price of a cappuccino uh, per day to support a boy through high school and give them a chance to be educated and, and have an amazing amount of choices through their life. So that's kind of what we're pushing now is this idea of uh, the scholarships for the boys so that they can be educated for, uh, for years to come. Okay, amazing. And now, earlier you mentioned that you've partnered with the WE movement or, well, formerly right. known as Free the Children. So tell me how your work with them has, um, has evolved over the years. 
Right. So why, like I said, when I like, first went to Kenya, I, it was with them. I met Mark and Craig Kielberger. I heard about their story. I heard about yeah. what they did. And I, and I became really involved with WE. I've been on the WE Day stage a couple of times. Like, what uh, is WE? Sure. What is WE? Just for people that don't know. Okay. Sure, sure. So it, what it is now, so it's no longer Free the Children. A lot of people know this organization by its former name, Free the Children. Yeah. Uh, but now what it is, is so there's we as the overall encompassing kind of idea. It's kind of like a, an ideational approach. Yeah. And then you have we charity, uh, which is which what which basically was free the children and they are the arm the charitable arm that uh, gives money around the world uh, and really lifts people out of poverty and empowers them to do what they want to do and then you have me to we which is a social enterprise associated with the we movement and what they do is they um, it's basically it's a for-profit business so when you give when you buy for example a Beads that the mamas make in rural Kenya, 50% of that uh, of that money is then reinvested into We Charity, which keeps their administration rates so low, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting model and a fantastic model of the whole social enterprise idea. Yeah. And then you have We yeah. Day, which yes. is a gathering of young people basically around Canada and in the United States. There's one in London. And they have they bring all of these young people together to be inspired by great activists and actors and singers, whatever it is, uh, and, and they're inspired to go make a change in their schools and in their communities. So that that's what we is. Yeah. So I I was fortunate enough to go to a we day in Ottawa. I was there with you. I saw you. That's right. um, that was very cool. It's very powerful. Um, it's and a lot. You were filming that day, weren't you? I, yeah, I was. I was filming with Telus, and uh, we were just doing like a social media thing. It was very, it was very, very inspirational, um, and I learned a lot of things. I learned a lot about um, about what me to we and the we movement is, and I was very interested to know that um, it's a lot of young people. It's all like students. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's basically young people helping young people. It was originally branded as students helping students around the world and, and to make a difference that way. And did you have to, like, I, I'm not sure if this is accurate now, but do you have to have, like, a certain amount of volunteer hours or community work to to mm-hmm. attend this? Right, so so the way the way that young people, first of all, it's a free event. Young people can go with absolutely no money. But the way to get in is by kind of civic engagement. So yeah, what you have to do is one local and one global action. So bringing this back to what, what Project Jenga was initially, the reason why we stole stickers that read, it's cool to be kind, is because I wanted to do a local action too. I wanted to get to We Day. Yeah. Uh, and so I was doing this big global uh, global change-making initiative with the, with the, uh, with the educational uh, facility in, in rural Kenya, but I also wanted to do something locally to get to We Day. So that's one of the cool things about uh, We Day is that you have to do one local and one global action to really inspire an attitude at home, but also make a difference abroad. That, that's so cool. And so I love that because um, it really empowers the youth around the world. That's so, totally. so interesting. Okay, so... Yeah, everybody's a cool player. So when, when we... Um, the last time I saw you, um, we were talking about one of your newer projects, which is yes. Make Luck History. That's right. So I want you to talk about that. So <laughs> first, yes, tell, tell us about that. Sure. Okay. So Make Luck History. It's an idea. And it's an idea that's based on 
the, the incredible disparity that's in our world. And it's something that I realized when Project Jenga was at its fullest, fullest flight. Yeah. And basically this luck consists of three very simple things, health, safety, and access to opportunity. So if you have those three things at birth and through life, if you're healthy, if you're safe, and if you have access to opportunity, you can pursue purpose. And I know you, you, you just re- recently said that as well. You can, you can pursue your own personal welfare, whatever it may be, you have a ton of choices to make, you can pursue purpose. Yeah. But if you don't have those three things, even if you have two of them and not all three, in my opinion, you end up having to pursue survival. And that's basically what would have happened to the boys if they didn't have a chance to go through uh, through high school with uh, the school promoted by the WE movement and Project Jenga. If they didn't have that opportunity, they would have ended up pursuing survival instead of pursuing purpose. So my mission really with Make Luck History is to allow more people to access the meritocracy, access the competitive market that they that they choose to be a part of, yeah. rather than just having to do, having to maintain their health, having to maintain their safety, having to maintain their access to opportunity. That's something that nobody should have to worry about. And that's something that should really be taken out of the equation. And how did you, like, this is, such a phenomenal um, thing that you're doing. I, I, I absolutely, it resonates with me so, so deeply. And it's, uh, how did, how did you come across this? Like, how did you start this movement? Was it something that happened when you were nine years old in Kenya? Or has this been building and you're just now, you know, opening your eyes and having just very wide perspective Right. So I, I, as I went along, and again, I've been, I, like personally, I've been incredibly lucky. I've probably never met anyone so lucky uh, as me. I'm, <laughs> I'm probably the most fortunate guy that you're ever going to meet like, <laughs> in reality. So I, I've had a great fortune on that note to travel to a lot of different places. Yes. I've seen people who are not healthy, people who are not safe. And people who don't have access to opportunity. So in various parts of the world, this kind of worldview, this kind of philosophy has kind of, has kind of come to me. So, for example, in, in Kenya, I've seen people who don't have access to a healthcare facility, don't have as, uh, access to a hospital. They don't even know yeah. if one exists near them. In, in rural India, for example, I've seen people living in the medians of streets outside of gorgeous palaces. And those people are not safe. Uh, and in Ecuador, in the Amazon, for example, I've seen people who are healthy and who are safe, but are so far removed from any kind of civilization that they don't have any access to opportunity. So as I've seen these people and, and in these places, I've realized that these kind of key ingredients make luck, basically. And if you don't have it, it's very difficult to go on and pursue purpose instead of pursuing survival. So it's come to me over the years uh, as Project Jenga has grown and as, as really I've grown up as well. Yeah, and just like on a sort of spiritual note, it's I, I those cat like health, safety, access to opportunity. When you say them out loud, it's like wow, I never really thought of it that way. And it's really sure. it, it's interesting how um, there's a lot of people in North America around the world that have those three ingredients, yet they um, are in the mindset that they're pursuing survival. That they don't right. they have access. Um, to pursue purpose. However, they don't really take those opportunities. 
right? Right, and, and my, my, you're absolutely right, I, I, I think. And, and I've seen, like you said, I've seen people pursuing survival all over the world, and I've seen people who think they're pursuing survival all over the world. Mm-hmm. But but my my point with Make Luck History, I don't really particularly concern myself with those who think they are pursuing survival. Right. Uh, it's a personal choice they make to... Uh, you know, to, to feel down about themselves or feel uh, that they can't do something. I mean, they have all of the necessary ingredients. And if you don't want to take advantage of it, that's, that's up to you, right? My concern is with allowing people to actually make those choices on their own and not be, not be broken down by their lack of health or their lack of safety or their lack of access to opportunity. And even, even within Canada, there are many, many people so many people that don't have uh, all three of these ingredients mm-hmm. and so it's not necessarily just a global initiative it's it's local as well we want everybody to have those three ingredients and everybody to do what they can do with the choices that they have so how do you um are you involved with helping people to have these all three ingredients like what is your role within make luck history is it awareness sure. so, based or what the, the ultimate point of make like like personally i i've been really fortunate again to my my professional pursuits have to do with the betterment of those three things in some given capacity so yeah. for example health in ottawa i'm lucky to be able to sit on board of the ottawa hospital foundation so working with uh, the fantastic uh, professionals in Ottawa to actually better health in, in the nation's capital. Um, yeah. Safety, I'm, I'm really fortunate to be able to be an advisor for uh, a friend of mine in Toronto who works through supporting something called the Rainmaker Enterprise, who is uh, providing water uh, drip irrigation systems in South Sudan. So that's really helping people with mm. safety over in, uh, in Central Africa. And in, in for, the, for the point of access to opportunity, the goal of make I turn Make Luck History into a, a Canadian consulting firm. So the goal is to further work with organizations to allow them to tap into conscious consumers to make positive impact and positive returns. I believe in incentive, in business, in life, and whatever you're doing. So if you can make a positive impact and a, uh, and a positive uh, return at the same time, uh, you can do that. So I'm involved with a whole bunch of things under this arm of Make Luck History. But ultimately, my what I want to do is 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 promote the betterment of those three ingredients. Right. And you do that through your website, through travel, through making these connections. And you, you also, you've done a Ted talk. Mm -hmm. Um, are you, are you a keynote speaker? Like, do you speak at events about this or? Yeah. So I've been, like I said, I've been able to do those two, those two TEDx talks. I I like to share my message as much as I possibly can. I think it's something that people forget. People forget how lucky they are. Uh, But yeah, for sure. I'm recently in in talks with the Speakers Bureau here in Toronto to get to to really spread that message a little bit further. Uh, I don't necessarily need to speak about it to large audiences. It's something that uh, I think is a kind of natural progression point for this movement. Mm -hmm. But I, I, so I think that that's a good thing to do to kind of speak on a, on a speaker's bureau and, and spread that message out to further organizations and further family offices, for example, to really showcase how you can create positive impact and positive returns at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and that's all done through the, the consulting arm of Make Luck History. Um, but, but ultimately, yeah, it's just a betterment of those three ingredients, however I can do it. Now, I mean, this... How do you find balance within your life right now? Like it, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of moving parts and you're and you're you're you've had you you put so much energy into this, which is amazing. I love it. Um but Thanks. what do you what do you do for balance? 
on a personal note here. Sure. No, of course. Uh, I care about what I do. I care about everything I do, and I and I am lucky enough to have the choices of what I do. I'm the luckiest guy around. Uh, I'm the happiest guy around, and it's because I have the freedom to make whatever choices I want. If I don't want to do anything with Make Luck History, I don't have to, right? But I have been shown a, a life that is so different from my own and a whole bunch of people around the world, and I want to be a part of the solution there. And I think that if we all act in accordance to what we think the solution is, the world can be a whole better place. So in terms of my own personal balance, I don't really think of it like that. I, I think I'm doing what I like to do. I care about what I do. And, and so I'm going to continue doing it. And you mentioned that you're the happiest guy um, in the, on the planet. I love it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so a question that I sometimes ask some of my guests, and I I I'm oftentimes evolving my own personal answer to this question is, um, what is your definition of happiness? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. What is my definition of happiness? Mm-hmm. What does happiness uh, well, mean Well, I'm tempted to kind of take a methodical answer to this and say, you know, you have to have all the hard skills and the soft skills, but I think it really boils down to being able to have a freedom to make choices and picking the choices that you love. So actually, one of my the, my the second TED Talk I did was on a progression from luck to happiness. And so it started off with those three, having those three simple things, health, safety, and access to opportunity. And then you have a vast array of, of opportunities that you can choose from. And the way you know you've chosen an opportunity that is right for you is if you love it, and if you love it selflessly. And this opportunity could be a person, it could be uh, an idea, it could be a career path, whatever it is, but you have to selflessly love it and be connected to it uh, in, in a selfless way. And then once you have that, you have a certain kind of ambition to make your love better, make your selfless love better. It kind of comes naturally out of the fact that it is selfless. And then once you have that ambition, once you really care about what you're loving as a result of the opportunities that you were given, as a result of that initial luck, then you're happy, right? And that's long-term happiness, doing something that you love and bettering something that you selflessly love, uh, selflessly love. But in, in, the, in, the, in the short term, I think happiness is really a choice. I can mm-hmm. choose to be happy at any point, but in the long term, it has to do, I think, with finding something that you really love and that you really want to keep doing. Yes, and through the thick and thin, I can imagine this progression wasn't necessarily easy uh, for you from the moment it started. You've probably faced quite um, your fair share of adversity. Um, oh, yes. Very different <laughs> adversity, I might add, but, but adversity nonetheless. Yeah, so I really love people's perspectives on adversity and how they've overcome it and maybe even the question like do you believe in failure or what is failure to you can you speak to that okay sure adversity from i don't have a lot of adversity i I really don't (laughs) i've been i've been granted a whole lot of fortune and granted a whole lot of luck but for example a simple example of what uh, a sort of kind of adversity that i faced along the way is is when I was approaching organizations for the funding of Project Jenga. So as you can imagine, I was a pretty young kid when I started to cold call uh, businesses. So when I would go in and speak to these organizations, I certainly used the fact that I was a young kid uh, to kind of help me raise some of the money and get people to give me 
some of their some of their money from their corporate social responsibility platforms. Yeah. But beyond that, when I first started, for every yes I would get in terms of giving money to Project Jenga, I would get ten no's. Sure. And it was kind of like it's kind of disappointing to, to get people saying, "No, I can't give my money at this point. It's not in the cards. It's not in the in the budget. Whatever." Uh, so that was kind of a piece of adversity that I was facing along the way. Um, and then I got better. And as I failed, I started to realize what the things were that people wanted to hear. And as as I would get one yes, I would get five no's. And every yes I would get, I would get three no's. And so finally, I, I, I would do I would do pretty well with the funding of Project Jenga. So ultimately. Failure to me is a great, great point of a kind of a trampoline. So if you if you jump on failure, it'll it'll perpetuate you further and get you really to the place that you want to be. Everybody has to fail along the way at some point, uh, professionally as as best you can. Yeah. And then you know once that happens, you can really learn from it and, and see see what you can do with it. Now along the way, you have had um, some help, some mentors. Uh, your relationship with. Um, the Kielbergers. What did yes. have? What have they? Am I saying their names right? Yeah, you are. Yeah, sure. yeah. Mark and Craig. Okay, so uh, what are the? What's one of the biggest things you've learned from those guys? I would say their passion. They really, really care about what they do, and I've heard people say this all the time. When you look at Mark and Craig Kielberger, they would have succeeded and basically will succeed at whatever they do. Uh, they could have gone into the for-profit sector and made so much money doing whatever it is that they wanted to do. They could have gone into the public sector and become the leaders of the free world. But they've <laughs> chosen to do something completely selfless, do something for other people. And so what I've learned from them is that that passion can be directed for good. That passion can be directed for for something greater than yourself. And if I can do that at any level in my life, then I will. And another thing on that note that I've learned is that you gain the most happiness from doing good. It, it just It's the kind of trick of God or the universe or whatever higher power you believe in that really keeps the happiest people the happiest is giving. And those two guys exemplify what it means to give. They've given their entire lives uh, to doing good. And, and they are probably the happiest guys around too. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I've had the privilege of meeting them at the me to we day and, uh, they're, they're fabulous. They're amazing. Yeah, they are. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> similar question. What's one of the, like, you've had a lot of support from your family, from your friends. Right. What, what is the biggest thing you've learned or what do you value the most about that? Like, what have you learned from your upbringing with the, with your parents? Sure. It's, for me, my parents have been incredibly supportive of anything that I wanted to do. My mom and my dad were always in, uh, in Kenya supporting me with whatever projects I wanted to do. And they said, you know, if you want to go and do something, we'll, we'll support you. And so I learned along the way that you can't do it alone. I could never have done Project Jenga by myself. It is certainly not just my endeavor. My family is certainly all the way behind it. Uh, my friends are all the way behind it. Um, so you, you can't do these things alone. As much as you think that uh, you can be a part of the solution on your own and, and make all this impact personally and have your ego lead the way, the reality is that 
my family has been so supportive. My friends have been so supportive. And you can't do something like this by yourself, even if you think you can. Uh, I, I, I've had a lot of experience to know that, that that's rarely the case. Yes, and you're just really embracing this. And it's it's like so inspiring. So what is next for Mitch? What? what <laughs> well, i got to finish my exams in a few weeks. <laughs> that's immediately next. Are you, how many? So go, how, go, go, go. What year are you in? third year third year okay cool so yeah, so i have my uh, a couple of exams in a few weeks and then uh, i'm doing a little bit of travel over the summer but ultimately what i what's next for mitch i guess what's next for me is to further this <laughs> idea of make luck history and to share it with as many people as i possibly can i mentioned that i'm joining the speakers bureau in toronto so i'm hopefully going to be pushing that out a little bit more coming up soon and uh really pushing make luck history to new heights i think that it can be one of the directions I want to take this down is incentivizing organizations to be a part of the solution. So a goal, a further goal with Make Luck History is to work with organizations to help show them how they can make positive impact and positive returns at the same time. Uh, whether, through, through, whether that's through a conscious consumer or through impact investing, there are so many ways to make a positive impact. At the same time, you're, you're doing well for your organization. So I want to take Make Luck History that, down that arm as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But whatever it, whatever it is, I want to be a part of the solution. And for me, Make Luck History is the best way to do that right now. Right. So it, I, I, I think that that's um, very, very interesting. So if I'm a listener listening right now and I, I'm very interested in this project, what can one person do here? What What's your advice for just one person that wants to give back or that's interested in Make Luck History is not part of an organization, just someone who's who wants to give back. Okay. First of all, I would say do your due diligence on organizations. Make sure that you pick an organization. If you want to get into the charitable sector and if you want to give some of your time or your energy or your money to someone, yeah. look into it. Look into what they do and, and figure out uh, if they match up with your personal vision and also figure out what your why is. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing what you're doing? Mm-hmm. And, and is there an organization that you can match yourself up with that aligns with why you do what you do? Uh, it doesn't really matter what you do. It's just a matter of if you, you, you pick something that aligns with your personal moral compass and that aligns with your personal vision and, and the solution for the world. If you want to get involved with Make Luck History, I would say the first step is to figure out if you are lucky. Think about really if you are lucky. And if you are, you're part of the minority around the world uh, if you have those three things. So think about if you're lucky. Think about what you can do with the luck that you've been given. And and reach out to me. Check out my website, makeluckhistory.com, and and we'll see what we can do together. Think about whether you're lucky or not. That is so – that I like I just had like a little bit of an aha moment because like I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'm listening to all of this. And just when you said that, think about – if you're lucky, I'm like, well, hell yeah. I'm very yeah. lucky. I have all of these things. And I, I never, I never would have equated my like luck to the, the list of, I don't know, adjectives to describe my sure. life. Um, but it, it definitely is there. And it's, it's, uh, it's definitely something that I, I obviously, I love giving back. I love having conversations um, and inspiring people around. And it's just so cool just to think about your life in 
this like have the smallest change in perspective about your life. I love yeah. that. That's very cool. And it, you know, an, an easy way to make that differentiation because it is like you say, it's very very difficult to to think about. Wow, am I actually that lucky? So a very easy way to do that. Um, I found along the way. Have you ever seen the movie Catch Me If You Can with Leonardo DiCaprio? Oh, one of my favorites. Yep. Totally. Yeah, same. Great movie. Yeah. So I saw that movie a long time ago, many years ago. Loved it. Uh, really cool movie. And, and at one point in the movie, Christopher Walken's character uh, wins an award at his Rotary Club. And he stands up and he, to receive this award. And he tells a story of two little mice. And it goes like this. Two little mice fell into a bucket of cream. The first mouse quickly gave up and drowned, but the second mouse struggled so hard that he turned that cream into butter and crawled out. And I was listening to that, I'm going, wow, this is an incredible little story of inspiration. You know, you can work really hard, you can use all the merit that you've been given, and do what you want to do with the choices that you have. But a closer reality in the big picture of the world, in the global, global kind of world, is two little mice were dropped into two different buckets. The first bucket was a bucket of cream, and whether or not he uh, turned it into butter or drowned is up to him. But the second mouse was dropped into a bucket of quicksand, and this bucket of quicksand was two times taller than the other one, and also the mouse that was dropped into it uh, had a limp arm, so it made him really difficult to struggle through this quicksand. It was impossible to get out. Yeah. So those are the two kind of buckets that we can more or less be dropped in when we're born. Uh, so I was dropped in a bucket of cream. So if I work hard, I can get out. But the majority of the world, the real majority of the world was dropped in a bucket of quicksand. Uh, but even within the cream, there are challenges. So sometimes the cream is thicker, sometimes it's thinner. My cream was already quite thick when I was born. I'm Mm-hmm. white, I was born in Canada, I'm male, things were relatively easy for me. Mm-hmm. So I, if I want to work hard, uh, it's easier for me to do well, right? But I still, I was dropped in a bucket of cream. Anyone in the cream can do what they want. They can turn into butter and crawl out. But anyone born into quicksand can't. So if I can drop as many, uh, if I can change the fates and change the, the, the trajectories of more mice and put them in the bucket of cream instead of quicksand yeah. that's really my goal and that can really tell us if we're lucky or not yes and your pursuit of purpose i love that right so what are we missing is there anything else that you want to say about this i think you've covered uh, covered most of the most of the story of Mitch. Yes, I I love it. I'm I'm a huge fan of yours. Um, we don't see each other. We don't see each other enough. We should hang out more. You're very cool. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, thank you so much. Definitely, everybody, say your website again. What's your website? Make luck. So makeluckhistory.com, and you can also check out the charity at projectjenga.ca projectjenga.ca, makeluckhistory.com. I will have that in the show notes for anybody that's interested to um, get a little bit more information on Mitch. And, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm, I'm, yeah, I love your story. I love this. I'm so inspired. Hey, anyone with the same last name, I'll always be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah Curry Lodge's connection. <laughs> yeah, you, you, definitely you can pronounce it better than anyone. <laughs> True. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, well, um, good luck with your exams. Thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Lisa. Bye. 
All right, I want to give a big, huge thanks to my guest today, Mitch Curry-Lowitz. That was amazing. You're so inspirational. And for all of you out there, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. It would mean the world to me. I hope you all have a lovely day. Until next time.